Hello, everyone, and welcome back. This is episode 10 of Here's a Guy. Uh, so happy to be with you, as always. This is Alex, coming to you live from St. Louis. Um, we have a bit of a lineup shift this week, um, which we'll get to in a minute. But uh, first, let's uh, let's check in with um, one of our recurring hosts, uh, Cody, coming to us live from Illinois. How are you doing? Good. Um, this week has, again, been insanely busy. But, uh, again, luckily enough, we got free enough to do another one of these episodes here tonight was uh, very pleased with that good to hear um we are down one of our usual lineup though there will be no jack john this episode um instead joining us is um our very good friend we've talked about him several times on the show coming to us live from chicago it's mitch mitch we're so glad to have you here how are you you know, I'm hanging in there. This is going to be uh, the uh, Jordan flu game episode. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, 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 braving, I'm braving through a uh, nice cold here, but I'm going to do my best. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's really close to the flu game, I think, at this point. <laughs> Jack's not here, um, and I don't, I don't know. I mean, he told us one thing, but um, we're hearing other things. So, I mean, he, he gave us some big lie to tell you, but... I feel like the best way to deal with this is just to address it head on. Yeah. So in front of it, you know, again, and and no, no podcast host ever has to, or wants to have to do this, but the rumors are true. Um, Jack has joined ISIS. That's right. He is part of an international terrorist organization. Um, The last thing I saw him do was piss on the flag before running out of the room. Yeah. And uh, screaming, Something like I'm gonna do nine twelve, whatever the fuck that means. So, whether he actually made it uh, made it to the camp or not, I don't know. Or whether he ran into traffic or something. But uh, that's that's what happened. Our boy Jack is uh, has gone over to the other side. That's right, folks. Um, it is it is with a heavy heart we report that Jack has, in fact, joined the uh, the Islamic State of uh, Iraq and Syria, um, as you may know them. Um, terrorist organization committed various atrocities all over the world. Jack thought that sounded pretty cool. Um, and so, uh, you, you may be seeing him again, um, and uh, grainy video footage that he, uh, he sends back our way. Um, but yeah, I, I feel th- like just legally speaking. So like he doesn't get the NSA at his house or something. We should probably clarify that that is not actually true. Um, I'll say I just saw this on a Saturday, so uh, he really yeah, what, uh, uh, made a radical what, change what quick. Happened, <laughs> what happened was that um, Jack apparently injured his back because we're all old as fuck now. Yeah, he, he's got a boo, he's got a boo boo on his back. Can I can I just say I was very disappointed that he missed the opportunity when he told us that in the group te- uh, group text to make the joke that, yeah, my back hurts from carrying this podcast for nine episodes. Well, look, Jack is a lot of things, but um, um, lying to himself is not something that, that we know him to do. So, uh, <laughs> Well, I mean, I, we know it's not true. That's why it's funny. But he, he totally missed the opportunity for that joke. I was a little disappointed. And he must be really hurt. Um, yeah, Jack nursing a sore uh, ouchie on his back. Uh, Mitch, a bit under the weather as well. Um. Not feeling great, and uh, I am actually also dealing with some sinus problems myself. So, Cody, here's something I bet you you never thought you'd hear any of us say. You are the healthiest one in the group. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, that's kind of a toss-up 
over who has done more damage to their body when you look at the people we normally hang out with. But uh, usually, yeah, usually I don't make the cut. So looks like uh, looks like I'm doing good. When you when you look at the people we hang around with or just listen to any of the um, uh, here's a guy Belchcast crossover episodes. <laughs> yeah. Um, more more of that to come. Um, Belchcast. I will cannot be... wait for those Belchcast episodes to finally drop because <clears throat> I really want to see just how drunk we sound. I know how drunk we were. I want to see how drunk we sound. Yeah, it was a great time. Season finale of, of Belchcast. Um, which will be our crossover episode or episodes. I don't know how many they're breaking them down into. Uh, we'll drop next week. So They went a whole season. I couldn't even get drunk with them. I'm really <laughs> upset about that. Well, they got to hold something back for season two or they wouldn't have gotten renewed. That's, That's a good true. point. Um, yeah, I think they had um, like four. I think they had guest spots like four times in their season. And, and um, like two of those spots were me. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so mentioned Mitch um, coming to us from Chicago. Um, you're you're a Peorian originally, I believe, but you've been living in, been living in Chicago for a bit now. I, I consider you to be fairly well versed in Chicago culture by this point. So, um, with that being I'd said, so. with that being said, I mean, there's something that we gotta we gotta address because we we've talked about this a little bit before. What what's the deal with Malort? What what's fucking going on with that stuff? <laughs> What, you how, know, how do you explain Malort? I, I sometimes ask myself that very question, and I, uh, <laughs> it's one of those unexplainable, uh, unexplainable things, an unexplainable liquor, if you will. Um, it's really just an initiation into the city. We're going to give you something that is as gross as possible, make you drink it, and say welcome. You know, <laughs> so you, with an old style, you're good to go. So, you couple things here actually. I, I had a thought recently, and I told this to Alex. And I wanted to get your thoughts, but Malort, because of its taste and its staying power, I think it is the exact opposite substance as fruit stripe gum. <laughs> yeah, I, okay, and I can definitely picture that. I can definitely uh, thinking of the taste of a fruit stripe gum. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Fruit stripe gum tastes fantastic. Lasts for three point five seconds. Yeah, Malort. Tastes like gasoline last and lasts for the rest years. of your life. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Recently, I did try something that I think would be like the actual chewing gum equivalent of Malort. Um, it, my my boss pranked me um, with this because um, she she's been getting like snack crates. Um, if you know what snack crates are, and I love snack crates, I don't get them myself, but anytime anybody else has one, I like the chance because you get to try some snacks from all over the world. And and she was getting snacks from Canada. Um, and so she comes into my office and gives me, uh, holds out a pack of gum and says, do you want to try some gum from Canada? Me being a complete rube, of course, I agreed to it. And I put it in my mouth. I'm like, huh, that's kind of peculiar. And um, <clears throat> she says, like, what does it taste like? I'm like, I don't know. She's like, well, it's it's supposed to taste like soap. I'm like, well, uh, goddamn, that does taste like soap. And the thing was, like, <laughs> the initial taste was actually not that bad. I mean, it wasn't good. But man, when you spit it out, it had the worst aftertaste, and it stuck with me like all afternoon. So I think if Malort was a chewing gum, <laughs> it would be the Canadian soap flavored gum, whatever that is. <clears throat> so that yeah, sounds about it's, right. It, it's so goddamn bitter that I just can't see anyone enjoying it. So this brings me to my question for Mitch: Since you live in Chicago, do you know anybody who drinks Malort and actually likes it? 
Have you yes. ever met anybody who likes it? <laughs> shout out to my barber who uh, offers me a shout out award every haircut I get, and I politely <laughs> decline. <laughs> uh, he your... uh, thoroughly enjoys it. Actually, a Peoria native as well. Wow. <laughs> so okay, so there there are some people. Yeah. So we were trying to figure out if Malort had managed to exist as a company for this long, surely based on pranking people who don't know about it or. Because we thought, surely, for it to still exist, there have to be some people who actually like it. Yeah, for some reason, there are some people that genuinely enjoy the liquor for Wild. whatever case that may be. Maybe to make them we need different to, from everyone else. <laughs> we need to start getting their names and do a Here's a Guy episode yeah, on people go. who like Malort. <laughs> when the first time Malort came up, um, something I mentioned, which is that um, every major city culture, part of it is that like, every city has some shit that actually sucks, but they like anyway. <clears throat> um, I live in St. Louis. I know this well. Um, we have shit like that. Have I ever... Mitch, have you ever heard the St. Paul sandwich before? I was literally going to say that before you did. Yeah. <clears throat> Can't say I have, actually. So, like, Let's the, hear it. The, the, the odd St. Louis food stuff most people like to pick on is our, is our pizza style. Yeah, that's where um, I would go. Far more adventurous is the St. Paul sandwich. Like, I think there's like different tiers of St. Louis cuisine that you you know as you go along. St. Paul sandwich, you got to live here a few years to find out about. Um, it is something that you can get in local uh, uh, Chinese places, certain Chinese places. Um, I've never had one because it sounds disgusting to me. Um, and like I've lived here for a while, but I didn't grow up here, so I don't have to do that to myself. Um, the sandwich consists of an egg foo young patty. Served with dill pickle slices, white onion, mayonnaise, and lettuce between two uh, slices of white bread. See, that actually sounds pretty good to me. Maybe I'm just it. insane, but I, I would try that once for sure. <laughs> I would try it once as well. Because I like everything that goes on it. I, I don't know about those things altogether. But... Okay, right, the trick is all together. It doesn't mesh well. <laughs> yeah, I know people who swear by it. Um, but, like, I don't know. If I'm at a Chinese place, I don't know how I could even talk myself into getting it as opposed to anything else that's true um, i do like my general south chicken more than anything that is so. that is that is a staple mm -hmm. the inventor of, of general toast we may have to talk about him at, at some point because there is a weird backstory behind that but um perhaps for another time um so we've referenced mitch several times on the podcast um often when in, um we're talking about concert stories from our past um i was gonna ask you mitch are there any incidents from from concerts that all of us or some combination of us were at with you that that we haven't talked about that, that stick out to you i mean the only one is just you guys uh graciously inviting me to my first warp tour and yeah. cody throwing me up for my first crowd surf and uh, oh yeah <laughs> I had no idea how to crowd surf, so I'm just I'm doing a barrel roll the whole way through instead of just letting the crowd take me. I'm just rolling <laughs> the whole way through, and then by the end, I think I almost took a girl's head off on the fence because uh, <laughs> I had no I had no idea where I was at the time. <laughs> so your your first warp tour, um, it was after uh, mine and yours uh, freshman year of college. Um, it was in 2012, and we went to the one in St. Louis and. Boy, you got a culture shock right away. Because, I mean, you're, you know, whereas um, the three of us regular hosts of Here's a Guy are pop punk guys and metal guys. Mitch only merely, like, tolerates metal. Um, <laughs> and 
you know, at, at Warp Tour, obviously you have a, a combination of, you know, all these different genres as well as a bunch of other genres as well. Um, that said, the first band that we saw was a band called Motionless and White, which if you're not familiar, is a metal band <laughs> that very much carries on like the, um, uh, like the shock rock, like Marilyn Manson type aesthetic. They they are Marilyn Manson esque. Uh, some would say to the point of being a fairly blatant ripoff. <laughs> um, and by some, I mean me. And so, like, we're there with like a bunch of my friends as well, and and we we're all guys who are like used to getting in mosh pits and stuff. And I just can't imagine what you thought <laughs> when that, when that was the first band of the day. This is at about like what noon. <laughs> we're watching this, if that. Yeah, here I am, not prepared. Like you guys are rocking some uh, some shorts and some tank tops, and I've got old. I look like I'm about to go to a frat party. Like I'm, <laughs> <you know? laughs> but from my memory, though, in that motionless and white uh, uh, show, you uh, you got took a nice elbow to the head that one. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it was like an elbow or a foot. Because what what happened was. Um... You know, my friends and I, the way we mosh is more of like a traditional mosh style, but there are also people who do like the slam dancing style, um, which involves a lot of like flailing your arms and legs around. That's just how it goes. Um, so we're in the pit and I get shoved really hard and I like, I'm a little bit off balance and friend of the podcast, Jake, um, who loves to fuck with me, <laughs> um, decides my friend is off balance in this mosh pit. I'm going to shove him really, really hard. And he does. And as I'm like going to the ground, someone who is doing the, the hardcore dancing sli yeah, flings like an arm or a leg or something. I think it was an elbow and just gets me right clean in the side of the head. So your first set of warp tour, you're watching this Marilyn Manson esque band go up there and you have just seen me. One of the people you're here with suffer a possible head injury. So yeah. perfect. Intro. Only, only I feel only uphill from there. Yeah. <laughs> and at that point, Alex was the only one of us that Mitch really knew. So if he'd gotten KO'd, like he was just hanging out with a bunch of randos all day at a place that he had never been before, that would have been an adventure. The other thing <laughs> I remember bad. about that particular warp tour was, um, so it's always in the middle of the summer and, um, St. Louis has horrible weather in the summer. Um, so, it would often be very hot. This was the worst of all of them. Um, it was the hottest day of the entire summer and like the hottest summer of our lifetimes. It, it late afternoon, it hit 106 degrees. Um, so, I mean, we're just dying out there. Um, mm -hmm. And it was such a stacked lineup, especially with the heavier band. Like almost every band we liked was there. <clears throat> Pop punk, the metal, like all, it was just such a fantastic year for that lineup. So, of course, we were all like, I, I can't just stand here and do nothing. Like, yeah, I, right. I, I'm watching all of my favorite bands. I got to, you know, I got to kick some ass in this mosh pit. And then about 3.30 or so, everyone's like, I think I might actually die. So I had to slow down a little bit more than we would have liked. Yeah, it's very difficult to find any spots in the limited amount of shade. Um, mm-hmm. So that was the other thing. When you posted up under one of them, you kind of didn't want to lose your spot. Um, but we I, did, we I remember, survive. I, I remember. I think it was uh, friend of the podcast Dane that went with us. That when we sat on that hill, he was like, because he's a smaller guy, he was like crouching behind me. For Shane. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Yeah, and they uh, they gave you the water stations. They graciously gave you very lukewarm water. That yeah. was uh, <laughs> lukewarm is a you. nice way to put it. Like you That's could have been with this stuff. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> the closest I actually ever came to like um, passing out from heat stroke at a show was the Warp Tour the year before that in 2011. Um, was also it wasn't that hot, but it was very hot. There was no clouds in the sky, and it was a bit more humid, so it was pretty bad in the middle of the day. And we're watching a metal band called August Burns Red. Um, and there is a huge circle pit that opened. Um, and I take one lap around the circle pit. Um, and like, this was like not long removed from me playing football. So I'm not in as, you know, bad of a shape as I am as an old man, like I am now. Um, but it's so bad. I come around, I do like one rotate. It's like a massive pit and I get, I get back. I'm like, Oh my God, I can't do this. And I actually feel myself start to buckle over. What saves me is Cody literally just shoves a huge bottle of water in my face, and I and I and I suck some of that down, and that saves me. I did not get back in the pit after that because I'm not that stupid. Yeah, I was like, I saw him wobbling. I'm like, okay, I've got exactly one thing that might help here. <laughs> Let's yeah. hope it's water because there was no shade. <laughs> that wasn't going to happen. No shot. And. Um, on that kind of day, I really didn't feel like carrying you anywhere. So yeah. really glad you were able to walk after that. We saw a lot of bands to see. It would have been a it would have been a mess. Um, but yeah, we we've, we've been to some great shows. We have a couple more coming up in the spring um, that we have planned. I'm excited, but more on that um, in a few months when we get there. Um, we do have to get to our guys, um, but I did before we we get there. Um, wanted to do a, a bit of an in memoriam. Um, there were a couple deaths in the last week that I wanted to address. Um, the first, and, and Cody, this one is going to make you uh, probably upset. Um, the St. Louis Zoo um, lost Enrique, the rockhopper penguin. If you'll recall, he, he was the one who um, was very... The guy with the boot, yeah. Yeah, he was very elderly and had to wear... He had terrible arthritis. They fashioned these special boots for him so that he could stand without pain. Uh, his condition got worse and the boots no longer helped. Um and, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, had to be put down. So, uh, RIP to Enrique, the rock hopper penguin. Um, we're glad you gave us some amusement a few months ago <laughs> when we saw you. Um, yeah, we actually like, um, when we went to the zoo and I don't know if we've talked about this trip on the podcast, but we went to the, the zoo with a couple of our friends and we went in the penguin house. We were talking about Enrique cause I had just sent the picture to these guys earlier Yeah, and we were like, I wonder if he's, and then I look and right to my left, there's a penguin wearing boots. So yeah, I'm like, he, he was going to say that's probably him. He was literally, the unless first. they're, unless they're staging an all waterfowl edition of Rocky horror picture show or something yeah. that has got to be Enrique. He was literally the first penguin in the door. Um, so, uh, uh, rest in power to Enrique, the rock hopper penguin. Um, the other one, um, a, uh, highly accomplished and famed French mathematician, Died at the age of 91, invented a lot of very um, brilliant highfalutin concepts. And so you're probably wondering why we need to remark on him. Uh, the reason being, um, someone I had on my spreadsheet to talk about eventually, um, man happened to be named uh, Jacques Tits. Um, oh, not Jacques Tits. Jacques Tits passed away at the age of 91. Um, he came up with a bunch Enchant. of different came up with a bunch of different theories and was was nice enough to name them all after himself. So the uh, the mathematic theories, the tits group, the tits alternative, and the tits buildings, um, he innovated those. So uh, rest in power as well to famed French mathematician Jacques Tits. 
Man, that is such a bummer. And I tell you, I don't need to be a famous mathematician to know that without tits, this world becomes a darker place. Yeah. We still Ain't have that the truth. We still have Ed Balls, but um uh Jacques Tits is no more. <laughs> All right. So um <clears throat> with that out of the way, um you know, though though um not our healthiest lineup, um the show must go on. And that means we gotta talk about some guys. Um Mitch, since you're filling in for Jack, can you can you uh, do your your attempt at the little uh, theme? <clears throat> sure. The guys. You clipped, but other than that, it was pretty good. <laughs> so yeah, no, solid. I mean, that's better than anything Jack's ever done. Let's be real. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. We'll take it. So, so let's get to our guys this week. And uh, first up, leading us off this week is uh, Cody. Cody, who's your guy? So. My guy is Charles Domery, uh-huh. or Domery. I'm not entirely sure how you are supposed to pronounce this. It is a name that is spawned from like three different nationalities, as we'll get into. Yeah. So we're gonna go go with Domery. So this fellow was born in 1788 in Poland, and he is most notorious as having maybe the most ravenous appetite in human history. That's right. Um. Yeah. This guy would eat really odd things, and he would eat basically compulsively. Yeah, and and those of you who are listening might be, whatever you're thinking that this is, you are underselling it, I guarantee. (laughs) Yeah, no, it it sounds like this is almost a silly thing to talk about, but wait till the story is finished, and then you tell me. Yeah. Um, So this insane appetite started at about the age of 13, it is noted here that he is one of nine brothers, all of whom had the same condition. I mean, can you imagine, imagine being their parents? The, How the, the hell were they not all like in the poorhouse? Between the grocery budget and like, I don't know, all the other shit you'd have to buy for him to eat. Like you'd be having to go to the hardware store. Yeah. The, the idea of even trying to feed nine normal teenagers fills my wallet with dread but nine pathologically ravenous teenagers i i just i can't even imagine it sounds like a weird avant-garde horror movie well like you you had to keep them fed because as we'll find out more later whatever condition they had like if they if they were not fed they would probably just start eating the house itself yeah, like like uh, you know, very Hansel and Gretel like, but it's just a regular ass house. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so it it was kind of a pathological pathological condition because not only could he and would he eat huge amounts, but he's like a really dumb dog in that once he started eating, he just wouldn't stop. <laughs> like as long as there was food in front of him, he would just keep eating and eating and eating and eating. Alex, I noticed you glanced behind you, but Freddy is no longer here. So. Yeah, that did make me start to wonder where he went. <laughs> Freddy infamously once, um, I didn't get up early in the morning to feed him for his liking and uh, got into a pack of hot dog buns and ate one of them. So. Yeah. So so very similar to that, except oh, it would have been something uh, way weirder than hot. My cat Tris licking some guacamole earlier today, so uh, she's not good taste at least, right? <laughs> <laughs> You'll you'll be uh, cleaning up uh, green foamy uh, puke at some point this evening. Yep. Absolutely. Why is Jack staying with you? 
Mm. <laughs> <laughs> He's not here, so we can say whatever. Zia. Yeah. I literally like had a list of, of negative things I wanted to say about him. <laughs> he wasn't here, but I'm like, no, 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 no. So yeah. It, so it's basically, it's the house with these parents and these nine just constantly eating children. It's like living with Dom DeLuise's family. Yeah. Like it's just, I, just constantly, if you're, you're going to lose a finger, you hang out at that table very longer. Yeah. Um, medically though, the family was otherwise fairly normal. Um, the only abnormality in the records was that they all uh, survived a smallpox outbreak when he was younger. They all did catch smallpox, but they all came out of it okay, which was very rare. They took some Iver- bunch. They took some. Iver- <laughs> yeah. they, they took some ivermectin, and that helped. <laughs> you know this was fu- pre. This was pre ivermectin. You know what's fucked up? That's like an old reference now. <laughs> that was like yeah. what six months ago. God, it'll never stop being funny though. No, it won't. So, uh, other than that, was generally healthy. He was uh, a little bit bigger than average, six foot three, which was quite tall for the day. Um, described as being a pleasant guy, a very normal personality. They said average intelligence, uh, his pulse and his temperature, which seemed to be the only vitals they were capable of taking back then, were both normal. Nothing in here ever says anything about his blood pressure, which is what I would be curious about. Yeah. <laughs> and. Despite eating like a goat, never vomited unless he ate large quantities of boiled or roasted meat, which is really weird considering some of the stuff that he managed to keep down later on. Yeah, yeah. Well, so every, everybody's got their their weird little hangups, you know. <laughs> but it wasn't just the ravenous appetite. There were there was some other kind of odd physical symptoms that went along with this. He would go to bed. Um, just his sleeping ritual is really odd. He would go to bed about 8 p.m., which was fairly normal for the time. But every time he got in bed, he would start sweating profusely. And then get hungry again. It's it's like if a werewolf was turning into Garfield. Yeah. So there, he'd lie awake. There's our token Garfield reference to the episode. Yep. Mm-hmm. For once, I knew we'd get for one it. in. For once, I was waiting for it. For once, it wasn't me. <laughs> so after lying there awake and just sweating uncontrollably for an hour or two would finally fall asleep then would wake up around 1am and eat any available food uh, or smoke a pipe if there were none available would fall back asleep around 2am would wake up 5 or 6 sweating profusely the sweating would then stop when he got out of bed no one has ever provided any kind of explanation for this literally all of medical science is just like yeah that's fucking weird yeah, Which is a meaning di- night sweats. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's that's a diagnosis I want to see on a on a patient chart before I die. This is really fucking weird. So he served in both the French and Prussian armies in the Franco-Prussian War, and this is maybe the funniest part of this whole thing to yeah. me. So he started out. Remember, he was Polish, so he started out serving in the Prussian army, but. During battle, he switched over to the French side after the Prussian food was insufficient. (laughs) So, he's fighting a war, and they're not feeding him enough, so he switched sides. I I I mean, you never take a date to a Prussian restaurant. I guess maybe it did really suck, but (laughs) still. Um, So... 
I, I hope oh, I'm sorry, not. Go ahead. I hope I'm not not stepping on any of your material. But at some point, are we going to get a joke about how many Polish people it takes to eat a light bulb? I tried to avoid the Polish jokes entirely, just just in case. <laughs> but there there were several in the drafts that got deleted. Let's just let's just put it that way. <coughs> Podcast have a large you, uh, Polish viewer base. <laughs> I a lot of, a lot of people from Chicago do listen, so it is. It I was going to say we do have a fair amount of Chicago okay. folks and a lot of Polish people up there. Um, I, I apologize. Actually, I, I apologize to the Polish people. I I did not make the joke. I was merely asking about it. <laughs> I find Polish. You're, jokes you were just deplorable. making sure I didn't do it, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what it is. Looking out uh, for the my, people. <laughs> my only uh, my only anecdote about. Um, the Polish community in Chicago is that one of my friends from work used to live in a, one of the big Polish neighborhoods in Chicago and just absolutely loved it. So apparently the food is spectacular, which again, bummer for this guy. He didn't live to see it. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he surrenders to the French commander who gave him as a reward, a large melon (laughs) of which he immediately ate all, including the rind. Of course. Now, what, what so, I, did did it say anything about what method he went about to eat the melon? Did he just start biting in like an apple, or did he did he slice it up and eat the fruit and then just go to town on the rind? Like a goddamn apple. He just stuck his head in there and turned the chompers <laughs> on, and it was gone. <laughs> he's, uh, he's like Joey Chestnut, a different life. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like he... Yeah, it, it looked. It apparently looked like a wood chipper. I mean, it just went. It just went in and it didn't come out. Yeah. Um, then they gave him some more foodstuffs, which again he just devoured immediately on the spot. And while he served in the French army, he became something of a marvel. Obviously, yeah. Um, ate any and all available food, including things that were not technically food. Um. He was granted double rations, and I don't know how what his elevator pitch was for that. I imagine it was just because his C uh, his CO didn't want to make him mad; otherwise, he was going to wake up in the morning missing a couple digits. Yeah, yeah. You know, you just th- this is the kind of guy that it seems like making him angry would be a bad idea because it seems like he's capable of some almost superhuman shit. Yeah, you you have a lot of influence over somebody when they are rightfully concerned that he could just start eating you at any given time. So he got the uh, got the double rations. He used his pay to buy still more food. Like every dime he got, he spent on food. Still suffered from extreme hunger. Was rumored to have eaten up to 174 cats in a year. Now, or six Freddies. Yeah. <laughs> that that really is him. The the world's foremost cat eater versus Freddy really is like an unstoppable force versus an immovable object kind of situation. <laughs> This would have been his Waterloo. Is every time I think I've figured out how much cat there is to Freddy, he will sit at a new angle, and there's somehow more cat there that I didn't notice before. <laughs> He's spreading like a fungus. <laughs> um, so rumored to have eaten up to 174 cats in a year. Plus, if there was nothing else available, he just fucking eat grass. Like he literally just pull out handfuls of grass and start <laughs> eating it. Did um... this is amazing. Imagine seeing this, being a soldier in the early 1800s in the Franco-Prussian War, and some guy, all of the other shit you have to put up with, and then some guy next to you is just housing grass. 
like it's a bag of Doritos. Yeah, what What do you think would happen if they had this guy try weed? I'm not sure. Based on, I mean, they said pleasant countenance, uh, easy to be around, eight tons. I don't know that it'd be any different, really. Say <laughs> so he would eat the entire planet, I think. There would be no limit to what he could do. This guy is just, he's the prototype for Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. Yeah. I was literally going to bring a Scooby-Doo reference up to get into it. <laughs> He's, no, seriously, this guy's like, I imagine, I, I, they never really said too much about how exactly he would eat things, but it always, to me, I imagine it's like if they did a movie about the Franco-Prussian War starring Cookie Monster. Oh. Like he's just <laughs> uncontrollably shoving everything he could find into his face. That sounds adorable. Yeah. It really does, but apparently it wasn't. Well, yeah, and we're about to get it. Why? Well, we already we've already heard that he the eats hundreds of cats per year. I, I can't imagine how much worse it's going to get. Well, um, <laughs> you're about to find out. Um, this is probably the wildest incident of this whole thing. This is the visual that I feel really bad about laughing at, but I can't not do it. So eventually, uh, he was conscripted to serve on a ship in the French Navy, but. On one unfortunate incident, during the middle of a battle, he tried to eat the severed leg of a crew member struck by a cannonball. So the cannonball took this guy's leg off, and he's just like, mine, and just starts trying to eat it. He was pushed, like, his shipmates literally had to wrestle this guy's severed leg from him. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I just, imagine that. Just, just take a second, everyone listening at home, take about five seconds and let that little movie play out in your head. This is a thing that happened in real life. This is why we do this. Because if I had to know that this happened and the rest of you didn't, I think I'd jump off a fucking cliff. Um, something similar that did happen in an episode of Family Guy, but again, we're dealing with real life. <laughs> yeah, this is not a cartoon. Or even scripted live action. This is a guy trying to eat a severed, a very recently severed leg, which I guess is better than. <laughs> I don't know, but I mean, yeah, I, I just how brave are the guys who pulled the leg away from him? Like, I mean, although I guess I would have been kind of conflicted because, on one hand, yeah, I don't want the guy. I don't want to have to watch the guy I share a bunk with gnawing on a human calf like one of those giant turkeys you get at Renaissance fairs. Yeah. But also, other dude's not using it anymore. <laughs> this is 1820. You're not sewing that fucking leg back on, and maybe if you just let him eat it, you get to keep your parrot alive for one more sunrise. So, I, I, you know. I mean, it's good. get some use with him digesting it. Whether Yeah. <laughs> it's the circle of life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, eventually, and just when you think that this couldn't seem any more like a scripted comedy from some wacky screwball like writer from back in the day, eventually the entire ship was captured by the British Army. Oh, no. Yeah. And I mean, for somebody pathologically obsessed with eating, there really is no worse fate, I think, than yeah. being captured by a bunch of British people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, unless you're unless you're a big fan of tripe and yeah. treacles and other kinds of disgusting sounding British food that are just boiled. 
I hope he, I hope, yeah, I hope he enjoys beans for breakfast every single day. I, I was hoping somebody would get to beans on toast at some point because that is like the hot button anti-British food issue right now. now I'm not sure say, if that's a step up from a human leg or not, honestly. Yeah, just, yeah. I mean, it would it would depend on how the human leg were prepared for me yeah, to make I, that decision. And yeah, and in fairness, we actually don't know. At least I don't think any of the three of us know what human tastes like. It could be good. Well, I feel like this is a dangerous road for us to continue <laughs> going down, especially with Jack out for the week. Like, <laughs> I think we're going to start casting some suspicion on why he's not here. We keep this up. He is, uh, I mean, he is vulnerable right now, is all I'll say. That would be a plot twist and a half. Like, this podcast would finally make headlines if it turned out the reason Jack wasn't here is that we just ate him. <laughs> It'd just be one more true crime podcast. Yeah. <laughs> now, a, a true crime podcast playing out in real life, live, that, that is unprecedented, idea. That is unprecedented <laughs> that's, territory. That's the future. That is the future. So, he's in prison in this POW um, dungeon, essentially. I just imagine all POWs were kept exclusively in dungeons back then, because I'm, like, illiterate, and we, you know, only know what we see in movies. Um, but I think the joke was really on the British army here because now they've got to feed this motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. And or else he's going they to did... eat the dungeon. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you are, oh, you are getting so damn close. Um, <laughs> they, they initially gave him double rations. I think it's because their shipmates were like, you got to give this guy double rations or yeah. bad things are going to happen. Yeah. Like, it's like, we don't want to help you, but we probably should just say that you need to feed this man a bunch. Yeah. So, but the British were a lot more lenient and I will explain what I think is the reason behind this. They started him on double rations initially, like I said, double, and then eventually got to the point where he was eating the rations of 10 men per day. Yeah. So again, it seems a little doubtful why they did this for him, but I think it was probably just to see how far he could go. Like, I think they just probably just had enough food and they were like, let's, let's see how, let's see how long it goes before he doesn't need any more. I mean, running a, running a, a POW torture chamber. If you're just a guard, it probably is kind of boring. They had to find a way to entertain themselves somehow. Yeah, this is, I mean, probably the most humane thing they ever did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, not only did he eat um, ten men worth of rations every day, also ate the prison cat. Oh, he apparently had a fondness for cats. I don't know <laughs> yes. exactly if there's. I I don't know if there's anything specifically that uh, that that points to pathologically, to but uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it's just it's dude likes cats. Uh, also, uh, ate a bunch of rats. When he couldn't find either food or animals, he would eat uh, the tallow candles that they had. And, weirdly enough, the medicines of prisoners who refused to take their medicine. Again, they probably just let him do that to see what would happen. Somehow that didn't kill him. Like, all of these different medications for God knows what. He's just sucking them down straight out of the bottle. And he's just totally fine. This guy's got guts like Iron Man. I say turn him into the Hulk or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh God, that'd be the worst, the worst outcome of all. I think. Yeah. 
So eventually they sent him to somebody who is only referred to as Dr. J. Johnston, whose notes comprise pretty much everything we know about Domeri. Um, he was one of the physicians um, who's a member of the council that oversees the health of the POWs for the uh, British Armed Forces. So Johnston hears about this guy and he's like, no fucking way. You guys are making this up. There's, there's no way. Like he, it's like he thinks he's being punked, but like he goes to to watch him in action, and he says, "Okay, yeah, this guy's a freak. Um, we're gonna we're gonna study him for a while. We're gonna perform an experiment, and we'll see what uh, we'll see how he handles this regimen we're gonna give him." So they did this over the course of a day. At four a.m., he was given four pounds of raw cow udder, uh huh, which he ate. Right at nine thirty a.m was given 12 large callow tandles, five pounds of raw beef, and a bottle of porter, which is a fairly stout kind of beer for those uh, uninitiated. Right. At 1 p.m., five more pounds of raw beef, 12 more candles, and three bottles of porter. Again, downed it all without a problem whatsoever. No, it's not me before you even fucking ask. He wasn't even picky and asked him to cook it. No. No. I feel like we are there probably is an, an elephant in the room that we need to address um, I mean we're all thinking it what must this guy's shits have looked like I just can't imagine I, I it I don't imagine how he could have possibly not just have been constantly shitting if he is constantly <laughs> eating like I, I like how how is he not just living on a toilet yeah. if he's eating that much? But <clears throat> apparently there wasn't any. So they recorded. They actually like kept track of his waste output during this. And one thing they told him to try not to do, and he did it with no problem, was not to shit, piss, or vomit during any of this. Like mm. nothing that can clear this food out of your system. He did all of that with no problem whatsoever. Um, his skin still looked normal. His pulse remained normal. Again, those are the only vitals they really could take at this time. So, you know, no word on what his blood pressure was like or his cholesterol or anything like that. But he got through this experiment totally fine. After they were done at 6.15 p.m., he was reportedly in excellent spirits. They said he smoked a pipe, danced, and drank a further bottle of porter, which tells me he can at least get drunk. Yeah. He's he probably... might... Uh, might might be able to drink as much as humanly possible, but he, it does affect him at some point. He is probably having, like, the best experience that a POW has ever had. <laughs> yeah, no, that's why I, I was surprised that they made note of the fact that he seemed like he was in excellent spirits. I'm like, yeah, no shit, this is his dream. Yeah. He just had, they just, he just had people feeding him weird raw meat all day. Like, that's, if this guy could do that for a living, I'm sure he would. He had to be captured to live out his dream. Imagine that. Yep. Yeah. Now that's deep. Um, <laughs> now we don't know too much more about him after this. Um, medical science is still somewhat at a loss. Um, the official thing they have kind of blanket diagnosed him with is polyphagia, which is just a term that means having a gigantic or unusual appetite. 
Now, there have been other cases of this, both throughout history and in the modern day, but none anywhere close to as severe as this. Yeah. As far as the amount of food he was eating. it's it, Nothing's ever even come close. Um, what caused this condition, they still don't know. Um, some have hypothesized it may be a thyroid condition or a, a damaged amygdala, which is part of your brain that regulates some of your bodily functions, hunger being one. So those are the prevailing theories, but still nobody has ever been able to explain how it got this far and why it was so so pronounced in him. So it, we really have to kind of leave this without satisfaction. I would have loved to hear like autopsy results on this yeah. guy and how he actually died, but we don't know. So there, he, he, died, is, he died like um, in a similar way to John Wayne, except... Um, in his in his uh, digestive tract, they found a hundred pounds of undigested cat. <laughs> or like is... Elvis died on the toilet or something. <laughs> he, yeah, he, see, fi- he finally had to he finally had to shit after all these years. And yep. just killed him instantly. <laughs> him and any small towns in the in the area, I would imagine. <laughs> the, oh my god, that'd be the worst avalanche of all time. <laughs> They'd just be out there doing dances, trying to figure out how they angered their God. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's really all we know about this guy. And again, I, I desperately want to know more, but it, it just doesn't seem like there is any. So all we have left is my big question. If you were an entertainer whose act was eating unusual things or quantities, as some of these people sometimes did, as like a sideshow entertainer, what would your big act be? Like your magnum opus, what are you eating? Hmm. You know what I think I would eat is um, I, I I'm gonna take the high road um, in my performance. I'm gonna eat undigest or um, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Um, non biodegradable plastics. Um, so not only am I entertaining people by being a, a, an insane circus freak, I'm helping save Mother Earth. Uh, my my fi- yeah, until un- until you die and they bury you and all that plastic is still just in the ground. <laughs> I'm just hoping they just shoot me into space or some shit like that. Um, so my my magnum. <laughs> well, you're opus, adding a whole other dimension to this. My magnum opus on that will be uh, going out into Trash Island in the ocean and seeing how much of it I can eat. Okay. All right, Mitch. Yeah, I'd I'd say mine. Uh, I'm gonna go with sour skittles. You want to know why? You know that that feeling that you get when you have too much sour skittles, like in in uh-huh. your gums, where yeah, they just yep. completely go. Yeah. Just completely goes numb. I'm just gonna. It, I want to see how many of those skills I can eat yes, before so my whole mouth goes numb. So you're doing like a flatbed truck full of sour skills. <laughs> yeah, is going to be a big trick. You're yep. okay. By the end of it, your face is just going to be turned completely inside out. <laughs> exactly. He looks like prune face from Dick Tracy. <laughs> yeah, it's like eating an unripe persimmon. Just just completely turns you inside out. That's um, an inside baseball one. That's a very um, that is a very rural reference. I guess you could just be like the most disappointing carnival act ever. Like, watch him eat this entire rotisserie chicken. <laughs> You're just grifting people for free food that way. Um, oh my god. Okay, well that's that's solid answers both, and that's Charles Domarie. Yeah. Um, fascinating, fascinating guy. One of the the um, I'd read about. Mr. Domery before, and I had actually thought like he would be a great guy to discuss. So I'm glad someone finally did. Um, I'm I'm really I did not know really, all of those details though. I'm happy I do know. 
I I really am curious more about this guy's personal life and like what the rest of his like was everything else in his life normal because I'm just wondering logistically how much of a normal life you can have when you just have to constantly be yeah, eating. I don't know. Like imagine going on a first date with this guy. Like it almost seems like a bad Saturday Night Live sketch. <laughs> He's where he just eats everything inside, including the silverware. It's just yeah, like just. Constantly having to tell himself, don't eat the tablecloth. Don't eat the tablecloth. And the big tagline is, well, guess you can forget about that goodnight kiss. Live from New York, it's Saturday night. <laughs> Let's uh, call it Pete Davidson and uh, uh, see if he can do that one. That would not be any worse than anything else they've put on the air in the last five years. So he's going to be the uh, musical guest that they're going to introduce. <laughs> I don't know. Jack Black. There you go. Jack Black doing Tenacious D songs. Uh, hell, I'd watch. Yeah, fuck yeah. All right, well, uh, great first topic. And um, so for our next guy, we will turn to our guest of honor. Mitch, who is your guy this week? All right. I'm excited for this one, guys. I've been looking forward to it all day. My guy is the Chicago Mothman. Hell yes. Yes. And uh, before we get into... The Mothman in Chicago. We need to go back to his uh, to his roots, to the origin of the Mothman, if you will. Yes. So, in the late 1960s, around Point Pleasant, West Virginia, people would report sightings of a winged humanoid who could fly as fast as 100 miles per hour, leave witnesses in a state of dread. So, now, who the fuck was sitting out there with a radar gun, clocking <laughs> how fast he was flying? I think they're just making that up. Uh, I mean, I don't know. West Virginia... You gotta like look for stuff to do. I guess just some hillbilly <laughs> sheriff, like the guy from He's the '70s James Bond movies, sitting out there going, "Huh, I don't <laughs> think we're gonna catch him, Billy Ray." <laughs> Chasing him in his pickup truck. That's you know. I think I, we're probably approaching ten states we have made enemies uh, with at this point. Sorry to everyone in West Virginia, but in fairness, none of you uh, we've never Having had a, to live in West Virginia. In fairness, uh, if if the um, Anchor.fm stats are to be believed. We never had a listener from West Virginia. So, actually, fuck yeah, you, so West fuck Virginia. all of you. <laughs> Not to get a side story, but I uh, I had an emergency landing uh, on a plane in West Virginia in the mountains one time. And that's a story for another day. <laughs> did, did you hear banjo music? Uh, a guy came out uh, on the mountains and uh, offered to give us some ice cream sandwiches. So, uh, <laughs> and, of course, don't you... eat anything a mountain man in West Virginia gives you. Of course, you graciously accepted. Oh, yeah. Can't turn down ice cream sandwich. You are legally married to that man now if you <laughs> accepted that ice cream sandwich. Oh, man. All right, so 100 miles per hour, maybe. Who knows? Anyway, leaving witnesses in a state of dread. And what I mean by that, um, some thought that this mothman was trying to warn humans of an impending nearby uh, tragedy. So he'd show up, hey, something is going to go wrong in the near future. I'm some scary mothman. <laughs> I don't understand how it, how they came to that uh, conclusion, but uh, here we are. So I've read a little bit about the OG mothman, and this is one of the things that always was fascinating to me because it seemed like, yeah, he would always show up before, like there was a bridge collapse and there was some other stuff that seemed like, you know, he would pop up right beforehand, but I'm like, no, no hint about what it might be that's happening. No, like, 
You're just like, something bad is going to happen soon. Okay, bye. I'm a big scary Mothman. <laughs> Maybe he did all that. Maybe Mothman's an ISIS. <laughs> oh. I, I don't think that's... Uh, his crimes, like I said, the bridge collapse, they're not so much ISIS as they are like Snidely Whiplash. Or maybe Jack's Mothman. Oh. No, he's, he's, not, he's not here to defend himself. So. <laughs> yeah, see, I don't hear a denial anywhere. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, so he's so... an ISIS and he's Mothman. We've established all <laughs> of those things. <laughs> oh, he's got a lot of explaining to do on the next one. <laughs> <laughs> what a week it's been. Uh -huh. <laughs> I got drummed out of ISIS for eating my peas with a knife. Now, so, that, that is a very old joke, but I, I just want you yes to know that I appreciate it. Yes, it is. On the heels of a Snidely Whiplash reference, even. <laughs> Say, we're, we're going full Rocky and Bullwinkle now. Um, anyway, yeah, Mothman. Yeah. So, we, we've talked about how fast he is. Let's go over the physical characteristics that apparently people have gathered and thrown in an NPR article. Um so, the uh, size and shape is between 6 and 10 feet tall with a 10-plus foot wingspan. Uh, the species is being compared to a big owl, a pterosaur, a bat. The eye color is red eyes, green eyes, yellow eyes, and orange eyes. So, any type of color you can imagine, he sometimes has them. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and other features that has, like, fur, leather-like skin, bat wings... Um, so he's a terrifying looking dude. Yeah. I mean, I almost know, mixed with him being six foot ten. He, he might just be an NBA player who's just. I was gonna say, is this just LeBron James <laughs> wearing one of those Batman outfits like Wiley Coyote had? He said ten foot wingspan. I'm just thinking like, okay, Kevin Durant is Mothman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what he's doing now. That's the next yeah. team he's gonna play for, the Utah Cryptids or something like that. <laughs> The next chapter, Mothman. <laughs> <laughs> what should I do? All right. That's also so, an old joke at this point. <laughs> God, don't make me feel older than I already am. All right, so more characteristics. So I'm going down from physical characteristics, now his behavior. So his behavior is screaming flying toward lakes, disappearing, going real fast, 100 miles per hour, uh, portending or be a sign of warning, and looking at people with eyeballs. This is a legitimate article. What <laughs> <laughs> the fuck else would he look at people yeah. with? <laughs> he looks at people with his asshole. Now that's something that you it's worthy of putting in an article. Yes, but that, right. Now, looking at people with your eyeballs is just what you do. Yeah, I'm starting to like get a little defensive of Mothman now. Yeah, it, it sounds like his behavior is basically just existing. <laughs> like that's right. Look out for an article in my Substack tomorrow. Uh, Hoity-toity, uh, New York liberals uh, try to cancel Mothman. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Don't let Ben Shapiro get a hold of that. I don't want to read that fucking Substack piece by Glenn Greenwald. <laughs> Here's where he gets in a little trouble, though. So it's alleged that he's eaten a German Shepherd. Uh, in Salem, Virginia, it's unclear. It says it's unclear uh, if they eat German shepherds exclusively, or rather, just this one particular German shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be Man, a slim dog. diet. <laughs> yeah, now now they're getting cute with it. They're just they're being dicks about it now. Oh my god, maybe it's Charles Domer Charles Domery. Maybe yeah. it's him. 
You say that's a very maybe that's what happened to him. He became Mothman. Started the, indulging and eating all creatures. Probably the most pet eating heavy episode that we have had yet. And I, I hope that continues because I don't want to think about how many more pet eating guys there might be. <laughs> all right, so we've established who Mothman is, where he originates from. So from everything that I was looking through, there were never any reports from him after the late 1960s up until 2011, where enter Chicago Mothman. This is uh, his sequel, Mothman 2, Moth in the City. Yep, you got it. <laughs> Still so, better than Gremlins the New Batch. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is true. Um, so from 2011 to present, from people are still talking about this in 2021, which is astonishing to me, but there have been over 50 reports of Mothman, and there were 20 within a few months in 2017. And while Chicago is absolutely a big city, this doesn't just span in the city of Chicago. We're going all the way out to the burbs, like the top of the burbs near Wisconsin, up in Woodstock. Wow. We're going from Woodstock. We're going from like the Northerly Island, which is right by Soldier Field, all the way out to O'Hare Airport. They're all over. Wow. So, which, yeah. Uh, which baseball team do you think he roots for? Oh, man. That's a great question. See, I, mean, I think I... I think I know because it's been my suspicion this entire time that this is actually just what happened to Steve Bartman. <laughs> oh, I like that idea. He's taking his revenge on the city. <laughs> I feel like he's like a fan of the semi-pro team, the Windy City Dogs. I don't know. <laughs> oh, he, he okay, is. I can see that. He is kind of hipstery like that, that Mothman. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's uh, just the leather and the fur <laughs> and the always hanging out in the woods. Yeah. So, basically, he's been going around and not even terrorizing is even the right word. He just is going around Chicago and existing. Um, I have a few quotes I'd like to, uh, so, to go over. Right, go ahead. Before you get there, the okay. way you said that makes me think he's just, like, going into, like, Giordano's for pizza and going to White Sox games and just walking around Chicago and existing, taking all the tours. <laughs> Shaking hands with Mayor Lightfoot. Doing his thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's... uh... So, I guess to start, the first quote. We were watching and observing as the moon begins its transit when we heard a very loud scream. This sounded like a squeaky truck brakes that squeal when you're pressing hard on them. At first, we thought that what it was, maybe a CTA bus or a big truck with brakes that needed changing or maintenance. We heard it again. This time it lasted about three seconds, whereas the previous sound was brief. I looked up to see a large object flying low over the docks that stick out in the Burnham Harbor from across the water. This object looked like a large black bat, but had humanoid features such as pronounced arms and legs. It was Yoko Ono. <laughs> it sounds like an intro to a Batman movie, though, honestly. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like just a really pissed off seagull to me. <laughs> Honest, yeah. There are a lot of pissed off seagulls, especially down by the beach. <laughs> um, one more, it goes, I felt like this thing could see right through me, read me. It knew what I was thinking, like it could stare right into my very soul. It was the most terrified it ever been in my life. Yeah, definitely Yoko Ono. <laughs> I, I just want to, this isn't my main question, I just want to pose a question. If you see this mothman staring you down i guess what are your initial thoughts oh fuck 
I hope I've got some new pants. Why? <laughs> uh, probably roughly in that order, I think, is what's going through my head. I mean, it's I mean like, if I were if I were aware of the legend, I'd be like, okay, he's just doing Mothman stuff. Let's just everybody be cool. But yeah, if I just saw that out of the blue, I'm like, did someone like slip some acid in my drink or something? What the hell's going on? Yeah, I think I just I'm just ready to die at that point. <laughs> like if this if this is how I gotta go, it's how I gotta go. I'd rather I'd rather go the way of Mothman than you know go go getting old and having to go into a home or something. Yeah, I feel like I need to ask him if he puts ketchup on his hot dog or not. That's really my main, like... Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, that's a really pressing question I need to know from him. He can't, he can't have moved to Chicago and then start putting ketchup on the hot dog. Chicagoans very picky about that. Absolutely. They are. Yeah, we are. I actually, I fall on the side of Chicagoans here. I am not a ketchup on hot dogs fan. I, I'm not offended when people do it, but I don't need them that way. Didn't think I could respect you anymore, Cody. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> Every day we're hustling. So, I, I just, yeah, he, he just lands in front of you, walks up, and goes, I need about tree fitting. And, I'm, and I guess I, I tried to look around and see if there were any, I guess, tragic events that happened after a lot of these sightings in Chicago. But honestly, it's like he's just on vacation or something. He is, there's nothing. I mean, I guess there's crime every night in Chicago, so maybe he's just chalking it up to that. <laughs> Maybe the maybe the the disasters are just a lot lower stakes. Like you see him, and then on the way home, you step in dog shit or something like that. <laughs> I'm a there you go. I have this image of Mothman moving to the city and uh, suddenly becoming very concerned with all the shoplifting going on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he starts watching uh, Sean Hannity and gets <laughs> real obsessed with people stealing from Walgreens and shit. No. <laughs> so. One last quote. So people people obviously make these sightings, but they didn't want to make it seem like they're crazy. So here's a good quote of people that really wanted to report it to the police, but uh, just felt, you know, what are you going to tell the police? That you see this big, scary, humanoid, moth-looking figure? It goes, we initially were doubtful about filing a report because we thought we would be made fun of for seeing little green men. We finally filed a report because we now want to violate protocol. <laughs> <laughs> This is really starting to sound like one of those scenarios where you call in Mulder and Scully. Yeah. Or whatever the real equivalent of that is. Do they do they do a Mothman episode ever? It seems like something they would have done. I think they did some something that was kind of vaguely based on Mothman, but they didn't go straight in. Well, I know that, I know I, they, I haven't done, I think they I haven't did done a, a full rewatch in a while. I think they did a Jersey Devil-esque episode. They I don't did. Know, but I that don't one if, I remember. I don't know if they've done Mothman, though. They should have. I mean, Mothman and Jersey Devil are, are kind of similar. Yeah. But Jersey Devil has always stayed in Jersey. He's never broadened his horizons and, and moved on to Chi-Town. Yeah, credit to Mothman for being open-minded. Yeah. He chose the best city in the world to... Uh, he goes from West Virginia to the best city in the world. <laughs> Alex just muted my mic. <laughs> I knew that would. Uh, <laughs> I knew that'd get you there, Cody. <laughs> just Alex, just jumping toward the keyboard as soon as you said that. No, no, no. Um, no, I, really, the last several times I've gone to Chicago, I've had a fantastic time. So. Yeah, yeah. It's it's always fun. Uh, so I guess just to wrap it up before my question. I found it interesting. He's become a he's become a cult figure of sorts. Uh, there's an annual festival in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, that uh, celebrates the Mothman. 
he has his own museum there as well. We, and, uh, uh, we're going to celebrate this day our favorite harbinger of tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they probably have a lot else to celebrate there. So they're every, gonna... <laughs> every every year, two weeks later, like some horrendous tragedy happens after the festival. They're like, uh, <laughs> "You think there's some connection here? I don't know." <laughs> Uh, and then there's actually a uh, there's a movie too called The Mothman Prophecies that uh, yes. came out in 2002. Now I'm gonna have to watch it because I I have seen that movie. It is not a good movie, but it's watchably bad. Okay. It it seems, um, it seems like I don't know if they got to it in this after the revival, but it does seem like a movie that they would watch on MST3K. I, I don't think it's public domain because this uh, was like actually a big budget movie because like Richard Gere was the lead in this pre yeah. Um Yeah, yeah the movie, it, the movie it was... shows Mothman up his ass. Is the <laughs> now that that I would watch. <laughs> that would be more watchable than Mothman Prophecies. Bro. So I actually read the the book The Mothman Prophecies um a couple of years ago and it's basically yeah it's it's basically just reporting on the phenomena of mothman and in the movie they just kind of gave the whole thing this weird action mystery plot um kind of psychological horror type elements too um yeah it's it's an okay movie but i really prefer like the mythology around it just because it's kind of open ended and you can picture it in a million different ways instead of trying to make it fit a narrative because it really doesn't it's just kind of a a bizarre series of events bizarre indeed which that now leads me to my question for the both of you is uh if you could create an origin story for some mythical creature or a person uh what would it be Mm. i'm definitely doing something with bigfoot um I think, uh, yeah, Bigfoot, kind of going back to a similar theme. He was a uh, uh, um, a rising uh, basketball prospect um, who was unfortunately very hairy. Uh, he was shunned, went to live out in the woods, um, and he uh, um, runs uh, secret underground uh, pickup basketball tournaments between him and all the other cryptids, and he always just uh, cleans up, and they all get really annoyed with him because they're like, wow, this guy clearly starts these tournaments just so he can win, but like, we don't have anything else to do anyway. So we'll keep showing up. (laughs) Also, he's got like a really nice house and stuff, so we don't want to piss him off. Okay. So I want you to, to accompany me on a journey to the barren moors of central Indiana. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) Where a full moon arises and out onto the moor steps a man, Uh a normal man at first, Uh but then the moon changes him somehow. His skull gets thicker. His movements become less coordinated. He becomes compelled to drink hard liquor for no apparent reason whatsoever. He stumbles around, falls down, injuring himself, and loses other people's keys. That man is John Grogan, a.k.a. the Wear Idiot. Well done. Very nice. I've had that in my head for like eight years now. And then he joined ISIS. And then, and then he joined ISIS. And he became ISIS. the man. <laughs> uh, before I hand it off to you, Alex, for your guy, I want to answer the question myself, though. So Yeah, by all means. I, I want to take it back to uh, one of your guys' previous episodes. I think my answer would be just having a living, breathing Gritty, which is the Philadelphia Flyers mascot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Having a pet Gritty want- would be great. 
Well, and I, what I want him to do is I want him to stalk Philadelphia fans and then just give them a tense feeling of remorse for being such asshole fans. <laughs> he, he just he just makes them listen to here's a guy episode two freedom ain't free, and he gets to puke man and they they just break down crying. Yep, exactly like that. <laughs> and telling and telling Pat Burl stories and being like, this is the kind of behavior you enable. Yeah, <laughs> you shouldn't give Donnie McNabb such a hard time. <laughs> yeah i'd love that yeah that's that's a that's a good one i'd love to have a gritty that i could that i could boss around i'd love to hang out with a gritty yeah yeah i would too we actually just saw, chill on the couch we actually saw gritty do you remember that yes uh, it was yes, so, yes yes so the st louis hosted the nhl all-star game um a couple years ago in like very early 2020 so very shortly before uh things went to shit in the world yeah if the world died we had a very weird experience um because what we were told and our friend Marissa, who I, I know listens to this show, um, still holds this against me a bit. And I don't blame her for being upset, but it was not my fault. I think we were, the, the entire city was misled about what this was. What we were all told was the day before the All-Star Game started, outside of the Enterprise Center in St. Louis, free Green Day show. That is what we were told. We got part of what we were promised. It was free. We went, we waited around for a long time to have a good spot. Green Day comes out. They play two songs. They leave the stage. Everyone is very confused. We think they're pulling a, a prank on us. They come back out. They say, uh, uh, the NHL films crew um, want, wants you to go a little bit harder during that second song. They play it over again. They leave the stage again. Everyone is very confused. That's all it was. And oh, every, no. everybody is livid. Let me point out that this is mostly new Green Day shit, too. So that second song, they're like, everyone lose your fucking mind. It was fucking Ready, Fire, Aim off the new album. I'm like, I am not. I, it's I thought cold. It was I am not moving for Ready, Fire, Aim. You come out here and play American Idiot or Basket Case <laughs> if you want something out of me. I thought it was Bang, Bang. Whatever. Some off the they played Ready, Fire, Aim and Bang, Bang both. I don't remember in which order. Those were the they two songs play. they played. Well, I thought they opened with Know Your Enemy. Maybe they played three and were just not remembered. But um, they played. Either way, it was still about a tenth of a Green Day show. Yeah, it lasted about ten minutes, um, and everyone was very upset. Um, and uh, but while we were waiting for the show to start, we did look up because you could see like kind of into the tunnels of um, Enterprise Center, and all the NHL mascots were there. And we did see Gritty running around, and people noticed him. And I. I had to tell people don't bring too much attention to him because I'm pretty sure he has warrants out. So, um, so yeah, we did get to see Gritty. So not all was lost on that day. But um, all right, like well, how no matter what we're talking about, uh, it always comes back to a concert somehow. <laughs> somehow, <laughs> that's because that's all we've done. Like that's the only interesting things we ever do anymore. All right, um, life could be worse, right? Yeah, yeah it could be a lot worse. <laughs> there are worse hobbies. Well, that was a, a extremely fun topic. Uh, actually, two extremely fun topics. Um, it's going to be a little bit of a change of pace here. I'm not saying this is not a fun topic, but is probably one of the least fun men to ever have existed in our times. Um, the extremely stern uh, Japanese military official from uh, the early 20th century. Uh, here's a guy, Kanji Ishiwara. Um the history of military and empire and global politics in the early to mid 20th century, obviously, uh, uh, you know, quite complicated. There was a lot of a dense on. topic. I would say it's a lot going on around that time. Japan is certainly no different. 
Um, there was a lot of turmoil there even before um, the events of World War II. You know, actually, some of the more interesting stuff you can read about military history in this time comes from Japan in this this period because they were kind of in flux. There was some really wild shit that happened yeah. that we don't really learn a lot about in the West. So if you get a chance to, to look some of that stuff up, I mean, there are some really, really hair-raising stories. And Ishiwara, the thing with him is he is a, as I mean, he's a very dour, stern, dead serious man to a degree that he becomes a guy. Um, Ishiwara remains probably one of the most complicated individual figures with how we look at him. I and mean, he is not good. He is not a good guy. Um, it sounds like he wanted nothing more than to not become a guy. It sounds like yeah. that's the last thing in the world he would have wanted. So he was born into a noble family, a family that was actually considered what they call a samurai class of family. He is from one of the, you know, he is from samurai lineage. Um, his family uh, would have been, I think his dad was just a regular police officer. Um, they were excluded from holding uh, high-ranking government office, as a lot of samurai class people do, because they backed the wrong person in some recent uh, political conflict. So, again, Japan, Japan was very weird um, during this time. Yeah, that never happens in American politics. No, no. Um, so Kanji, he they enroll him in a military prep school at age 13. He performed extremely well. Uh, he went to study, this is like the 1920s at this point. Um, he goes to study abroad further in Germany, becomes highly knowledgeable in military history and theory. I mean, he becomes, you know, a flat-out military nerd. And I will say this delicately since... We have friends who are military nerds, a couple of which I think listen to the show. I'm sorry, military nerds are guys. <laughs> you just are. Um, and most of them are fairly harmless, but some of them become this dude. Yeah. So we have to talk about it. It's when they turn into like uh, nationalists of a certain breed that becomes an issue, um, which is, as we'll find out, a bit of an issue with Ishiwara. Mm. So as a young man, while he's learning about all this... Um, a lot of people from Japan, especially um, pre-World War II, practice Buddhism. Um, he converts to a specific type of Buddhism called Nichiren Buddhism. Um, I think that's how you pronounce it, Nichiren. Um, so Buddhism, by most people, considered widely to be a like very peaceful, kind of pacifist sort of religion. That is largely true. But like every major religion, it has its own wing of kooks. Um, and this is where we get to Nichiren. Nichiren was this idea that um, there is upcoming at some point in the future, there will be some period of massive global conflict. And uh, the aftermath of that would usher in a golden era of humanity in which Buddhism would be the prevailing religion. Um, well, Jesus, I wish it fucking happened already. It originated. Um, well, you say that now, but I will. We'll get more into it. Uh, we would be doomed in this scenario. <laughs> we would be dead. You know what? Some days, <laughs> still better than what's going on now. So this particular strain of Buddhism originated out of Japan, and conveniently, um, the people who believed in Nichiren also uh, just ha happened to believe Japan would be the cultural center of this new era. Um, so it, it's a little bit like quasi-nationalist, quasi-imperialist, but it's just sort of a different twist on it. It so sounds almost more Mormony than anything else right now. Ishiwara, a common theme in his life um, was that he was a true diehard believer in this ideology. And really, that is the problem. <laughs> he, 
He believed... <laughs> yeah. Because he believed, he took it one step further, being the military nerd that he is, he believed not only would Japan, after this happens, be the cultural center, but that they should also be the vanguards to bring about um, these conditions. So, um, tensions between China and Japan, you know, there's always been a lot of tension there. Um, and this time was no different. But what's interesting about uh, Ishiwara um, as a believer in Nichiren is his belief was that Japan had a sacred mission to liberate China. And his big picture vision was that Japan and China wouldn't war with each other. They would actually unite with the other Buddhist majority East Asian nations. They would unify and they would defeat the immoral decadent West. Um, and he became so sure of himself in these theories that he was very stern. And his favorite pastime, as you'll find out, is condemning people um, for, for this <laughs> or that. His so d does he just walk around on the street being like, you're damned, you're damned, you're damned, you're cool, you're damned, you're damned. Uh, the only unrealistic thing about that is that he would not call anybody cool. Um, it would be one. Well, no, I'm sure that damn. word. Yeah, the receptor I, I'm, I'm or sure something. That... <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, so obviously he's like a, a big prospect in the the military world. Um, we'd call him probably like a five star prospect if, if they're recruiting services for such things. <laughs> His first big assignment they sent him to in the military was in Manchuria. For those of you who don't know, is an area of Northeast Asia, like kind of, you know, in the kind of in the overlap between China and Russia. Um, Japan had a presence there around this time, always been an area of like a lot of controversy and conflict. And when he, so did this, did this mission involve a body double of the president who would then assassinate that president? I think is what happened in that ah. stupid fucking movie. I was wondering when we would get to a Manchurian candidate joke. Um, and as it turns out within five Roughly seconds, five <laughs> seconds after you said Manchuria, yeah. how long did you think I was going to go? That was superhuman <laughs> for me to hold it in that long. So, um, when, Ishiwara gets to Manchuria, things are really fucked up there. Um, an influential Chinese warlord who had kind of been running the place named uh, Zhang Zhuolin had recently been assassinated. And in the wake of that, there's a lot of just confusion and, um, you know, chaos, as there is oftentimes when the figurehead of a place is killed and there's no replacement lined up. Um, <clears throat> so Ishiwara, um, being the kind of guy that he is, he gets there, he sees what's going on, he sees an opportunity. And this is where we get to the thing that he is most known for. Um, in September of 1931, what is called the Mukden Incident. The Mukden Incident, he partnered with a fellow officer, uh, Sashiro Itagachi, um, to hatch this plan. What the Mukden Incident was, was really an honest, real-life, no-joke, actual false flag operation. Because a lot of times nowadays, okay. when you hear false flag thrown out there, it is like Alex Jones or some insane person who listens to Alex Jones uh, saying that pretty much any national tragedy that happens was a false flag operation for whatever stupid reason. They're, they're most often, if not always, wrong about that. But false flag operations have happened in history, and this is one of the most prominent examples. Well, um, I mean, it, yeah, it was co-opted by the conspiracy nuts, but like they, it's an actual military term. Yeah. Like, that's legit what the military would call it. And yeah, there have been multiple militaries who use these, like, over the course of uh, the last, you know, century or so. So the idea here, um, so part of the, the Japanese presence in Manchuria was that they owned 
um, what was called the South Manchuria Railway, which was a railroad um, near Mukden. And I can't remember what it's called now, but Mukden is a different, it has a different name and it's all, is like a bustling uh, city in China now. But um, they had this railway and they see an opportunity here with all the turmoil going on to uh, further their presence in this area for uh, the military's interest. So first thing they do, how all good plans start, they gathered up some dynamite. <clears throat> and... I mean, when I when I get myself together for the day and I'm grabbing everything on the way out, if I don't have a stack of dynamite with me, I just I feel naked, you know? The old full phone keys wallet dynamite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, that was Ishiwara's everyday carry. Was, um, <laughs> so they gathered up some dynamite and they planted it near the track. Now they had to walk a fine line here because it, it was Japan's railway. So they didn't want to ruin it. So what they had to do was gather up a small enough amount of dynamite and they planted it far enough away that the idea was that it would damage the railway but not totally destroy it. So September 18th, 1931, they'd been planning this for months. They finally put it into action. And how does it go? It worked to perfection. They wanted it to look like someone, namely Chinese dissidents, had tried to destroy the railway but fucked it up. And that is absolutely how it plays out. Um, They do damage the railway, but, um, like, noticeably so, but to so little of an extent that a train was actually able to pass over like an hour later. But it was enough of an incident that people took notice of it. And as far as the idea that they wanted it to, to seem like Chinese dissidents had done it, that idea also worked perfectly. Um, the military officials there, including Ishiwara, they blamed the Manchurians. And uh, they responded to this fake act of terrorism by invading Manchuria, um, which was not much of a challenge. Um, six months later, the Japanese puppet state of uh, Manchukuo would be set up. So that was how Ishiwara got a start. Now... Ishiwara himself, he was not just taking for granted that there would be no consequences uh, when his superiors found out what he had done. Um, He thought, pretty decent chance he'd get executed, or at the very least, dishonorably discharged. But, eh. As it turned out, he faced zero consequences. He actually got promoted. Um, And another uh, uh, side benefit of this, which would come to both help and hurt him in the future... He gained a lot of admiration among young uh, right-wing military officers, as well as ultranationalist movements in Japan. His relationship with the ultranationalists was was interesting, because um, there were some similarities in their belief systems. Like an ultranationalist is basically putting the interests of whatever state you live in above all else. So, but there are some differences, because ultimately, again, what Ishiwara believes is that Japan and the other East Asian uh, countries are going to unify and, uh, you know, destroy the West. What the ultranationalists believe was more like, you know, Japan is going to is going to reign supreme. Um, so, you know, there's some similarities, but it, it stops a little bit short. He is trying to accomplish this, you know, main goal, and a lot of these goofballs just see enough similarities, they start latching onto him. He's like, I don't want to give him too much credit, but he, he in that sense, he's a little bit like the cool hand Luke of Japanese extreme right-wingers. Um, not a way I would ever have thought about that, but yeah, you're right. A sentence that has probably never been uttered in human history. And Um, I hope it never is again. So through all this, Ishiwara, he rises in the ranks. He started suggesting different courses of action to what the military was planning. 
he suggested um, strike north instead of strike south. Instead of fucking with China, we need to fuck with the Soviet Union. We need to join with our new puppet state of Manchukuo and China, set aside our differences, defeat the Soviet Union. Step two, free Southeast Asia from European colonial rule. Um, then it would be time to finally go after the U.S. and whatever remained of the West. Um, the problem with that plan is such a thing takes time and considerable investment. Japan would have to reshape their entire economy. Um, a bit of a hard sell, if you will. Yeah. Uh, another much, you know, kind of grand, but, but you know, perhaps a little bit less difficult bouncing around in Japan among right-wingers in the 30s was this idea of a Showa restoration, which is... Um, was a Japanese nationalist idea that they needed to overthrow the democratic government of Japan at that point and reinstate power to Emperor Hirohito. Um, it was an idea that had kind of been bouncing around with the with right wing factions of Japan. This all boiled over on, in February of 1936 um, when rebels, um, a bunch of uh, nationalist young military officers, uh, they did attempt a coup d'état. The Japanese government they assassinated a bunch of government officials. And what they said is that they wanted a new government in line with Ishiwara's ideas because they admired him and, frankly, they were trying to kiss his ass a bit. As for what, <laughs> okay. As for what Ishiwara did, he did not appreciate this at all. Um, he strongly condemned the rebels. So, again, he loves condemning people. So he strongly condemned the rebels. He asked for martial law to be declared and asked for him to be put in charge of the martial law, a request which he was obliged so as for what Great. His, as for what his problem was with this, I think it's just it didn't fit with his plans. What what does installing Emperor Hirohito have to do with with you know reshaping the Japanese economy and and uniting with China to take on the the Soviets and then the West? It has absolutely nothing to do with it. He thought these guys were a bunch of fucking idiots, and he basically said as much. Well, he wasn't wrong. Yeah, I mean, like I said, Ishiwara is not a good guy, but um, you know there are some broken clock moments throughout this story. Yep. So 1937, after all this, he's finally promoted to a major general, and he was sent back to assist things in Manchukuo. The general in charge of, of things overall in Manchukuo at that time happened to be a, a guy we're more familiar with, a general by the name of Hideki Tojo, who was another rising yeah. star in the Japanese <laughs> military. Um, if you're into World War II history, you know who Tojo is. So Tojo and the other generals in Manchukuo, they absolutely hated Ishiwara. Essentially because he was a massive buzzkill. Um, Ishiwara gets there and is very upset that the other generals don't share his vision of a, a pan-Asian vanguard ushering in a glorious era of prosperity. Instead, That the, seems to kind of be his default state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is very upset. I, I imagine on his tombstone it just has the Japanese for I do not approve. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, I mean, he just... he He's so incredulous that people are not on board with this grandiose insane theory um <laughs> they the other generals tojo and the rest really they just kind of wanted to do ordinarily ordinary imperialism and have fun with it um they're more of kind of your classic piggish colonial generals just you know doing terrible things but you know partying it up and and doing whatever they really had no interest doing in... awful things doing it for the love of the game yeah instead of any kind of bizarre you know world shaping ideology right right there was no grandiose vision they were they were just doing routine awful things for fun um so the last straw here was that ishiwara totally flipped out because he found that tojo had allocated some of their funds to an officer's wives club 
Ishiwara did not approve of this at all. Um, because again, you know, uh, a waste of resources and uh, did not go to the bigger picture. And so after this, after this incident, I mean, he, he's kind of bringing Japanese social culture is very intricate, but he's, he's kind of, Ishiwara is basically making himself into an embarrassment at this point because he's so stuck <laughs> on all this. And so Tojo basically goes to his superiors and says, look, we got to get this guy the fuck out of here. He's running around condemning everybody for things all the time. Like we're sick of him. Can you just send him somewhere else? Um, we need to make a meme with his face that says Hideki Toe Jam under it. <laughs> and that'll finally embarrass him enough to retire. So um, the superiors do oblige because, again, Ishiwara is kind of making an ass of himself. And they send him to some far-flung, unimportant base on the coast near Kyoto uh, just to get rid of him for a little while. Um, amazingly, while, during this time, he becomes an even bigger pain in the ass. Um He's constantly backseat driving the military and their operations against the Soviets. He's like studying what they do and offering suggestions for what they could do differently. Um, he starts going around making public addresses, advocating his big ideas. Um, but I mean, you know, despite all this, he is, despite being a huge pain in the ass, he's pretty good at his job. Um, and, it, you know, he knows military stuff. So he does work his way back up to a lieutenant general. So the problem is, by this point, Tojo is extremely powerful. He's among the highest ranking military officers in Japan. And so now he's realizing, like, I'm in charge now. This guy's coming, kind of coming back into the picture. I cannot handle having this guy around anymore. <laughs> but I gave him too big a platform. <laughs> what he wanted to do at best was to retire him. He probably wanted to just fucking take him out back and shoot him. That's what he probably wanted to do. <laughs> Tojo was a very See? cruel man. Yeah, knowing what I know about the Japanese military of that point in time, I'm really surprised they didn't just have him killed well, immediately. Like, the, the Japanese military in the in the early 40s during, during the time of World War II, like they were doing things such as like you can look it up. They were doing horrible things like performing experiments on people that that were every bit as bad if not even worse than some of the things the Nazis were doing. I mean, they were hardcore. But they yeah, had Google Nanking and then but don't sleep for a while because yeah. nightmares so i'm sure what toja wanted to do was just like throw this guy into the ocean or just or just shoot him um or you know at best like put him on the retired list force him into retirement because they could do that um but the problem was he feared the backlash involved there was still a lot of like young like hardcore right-wing officers in the military and he remembered what happened in 1936 where a bunch of people like himself got assassinated <laughs> for pissing them off and so he's worried about what's going to happen here. Um, the final straw here was um, Ishiwara went in public and gave a speech declaring uh, Tojo to be an enemy of the Japanese people and calling for him to be arrested and executed. That kind of forced Tojo's hand. Um, yeah. Tojo basically said, fuck this, and he finally, he didn't kill him, he just forced him into retirement. He put him on the retired list. Um, he sent him upstate to live with a nice family on a farm. Yeah, and that was, and that was it for Ishiwara as far as his time in the Japanese military. They did not bring him back. Um, the la you know, we did see him after World War II during the very um, complicated period where the Allied powers were kind of left to decide what to do to prosecute um, all these international government and military officials um, that were part of the Axis powers. Um, you know, like the Nuremberg trials are, are like the most well-known, but, um, you know, they had similar things going on in Japan. I know the Soviets did some similar things themselves in Japan. Um, 
but they they hold what is colloquially called I forget the official name but what's colloquially called the Tokyo War Crimes Tribunal. Um, Ishiwara, for all his faults, was not really other than the false flag operation. I would say um, was not really a war criminal um, in the sense that you know at least not that we know of. He wasn't the one you know you know calling for the the horrible experiments to be done on people and anything like that. He wasn't leading any bombing campaigns. Um, and, uh, so what, uh, General MacArthur, who is in charge of it does, he calls in Ishiwara as a witness for the defense in the Tokyo War Crimes Tribunal. Um, I think the thought here, like Ishiwara was never charged with anything himself, probably a few reasons for it. You know, the fact that he was an enemy of Tojo and probably more importantly, um, and I know less about this. I just know this was the case. Ishiwara pretty strongly condemned the bombing of Pearl Harbor anniversary, which was earlier this week. Um, that was not something that Ishiwara was in favor of for the same reason. Was there anything he was in favor of? I mean, I, I don't think you've said anything this entire, very little, uh, the, the grand vision of Nichiren Buddhism was pretty much the only thing that he was into. Um, and I I imagine this is the, this is like the only man in the world who doesn't like food or something like that. Like he just gets no enjoyment out of anything whatsoever. The polar opposite of Charles Domery. Yeah. I assume the reason, and I, I wasn't able to find anything on this for sure, I assume the reason he opposed the bombing of Pearl Harbor was the same reason he opposed all this other stuff. It really doesn't fit into his grand idea, like they're doing it out of order. You got to defeat this, you, you got to unite with China, and then defeat the Soviets, and then you go start bombing the U.S. You can't just go in cold turkey and start bombing the U.S. Guys, you're doing it wrong! <laughs> so yeah, he, he's, you know, he strongly condemns Pearl Harbor, and I think MacArthur thought, like, look, we... We, you know, in the interest of running these tribunals correctly, the defense should, we should let them have some witnesses. This is about as safe as we can get because we know, you know, you know, he had problems with Tojo and was on our side on some things, despite his beliefs. MacArthur didn't do enough homework on Ishiwara. Um, He didn't come in and defend Tojo or anything like that. But in classic Ishiwara fashion, he comes in to the trial Strongly condemns President Truman um, and uh, said in court that he should that Truman should be prosecuted for the bombing of Japanese civilians. To which, again, I say, well, broken, broken clock. You know, yeah. I mean, you're not wrong there. One of the several instances where Ishiwara was right, but not for the right reasons. So <laughs> um, he died a few years later in 1949, and that's pretty much it for uh, Kanji Ishiwara, a uh, stern dour no fun guy who is so stern and dour and no fun that uh uh he becomes interesting in and of himself um, you're a, tr- a mean one yeah mr grinch a true kook mm. so my big question to the two of you can either of you think of an instance in your life where you felt like you just kind of had to be the buzzkill in a situation um I mean, yeah, there there definitely have been, um, as has been brought up on this podcast um, many, many times, there were days when we were all of us a little bit younger and prone to making really stupid decisions. Yeah. Um, so there have been plenty of times where I had to tell somebody, no, I don't think it would be cool if you jumped over that railing, or no, I don't think you can get back to campus in three minutes or however fucking quickly you think you can drive there while hammered. Like, I don't, 
Yeah, it's it's mostly been stuff like that. It's never been anything on this kind of a scale where like I just full on Debbie Downard people who are just enjoying themselves at a party. I I just I've never done that. I don't think. But yeah, it's it's mostly been like just people being idiots that I've I've had to say, hey, I'm going to be slightly less stupid than all of you for the next five minutes because I'm the most sober person here. I think I'm going to take mine back to my childhood, too. Uh, I think my parents instilled with me that I was uh, not supposed to do anything stupid when uh, roaming around the neighborhood with my friends. And uh, my friends would call me the goody two-shoe of the group because I always listen to my parents. So uh, I think a lot of the time when they're out uh, ding-dong ditching or TPing people or making works bombs and throwing them, <laughs> <laughs> throwing them around. Uh, Fucking works uh, bombs, man. Yeah, a, that's a, a blast from the past. Yeah, what a that's relic, a literal blast from the past. What a relic of the of the first decade of the 2000s works bombs are. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I would not fly in today's uh, today's world. But uh, anyway, while all that's going on, I was the one that would run away way early before any of that transpired and ran home, and uh, I would get made fun of and uh, was definitely the Debbie Downer of the group. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you also still have all your fingers, though, so I feel like you win that one. That's a good point. Yeah, and, and as far as I know, you've never been arrested. So, yeah, you're 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 winning. A good point. Well, if you've never been arrested parents. around us, yeah. you've probably never been arrested. There. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, uh, good answers, both of you, and and what a fun episode this was. We really, uh, you know, we faced some adversity this week, and we uh, we we pulled together a good one, I think. So. Um, Wanted to, wanted to throw one one more thing in there, um, uh, but well, let, let me let's get to 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 hawking our shit. Let's do that first. Um, so uh, yeah, Mitch, we we so much appreciate you joining us, filling in. Uh, we've been talking about having you on for a while. I'm sure this will not be the last time. Um, so we very much appreciate you you filling in admirably for Jack. Um, where can the people find your stuff? Absolutely. You can find me at Twitch TV slash Mitch the Peach underscores in between uh, Mitch and the. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you can find me there. You can find me on Twitter at Mitch the Peach, no spaces. And uh, be on the lookout because I know I'm uh, looking to put my own podcast out here uh, that I'm going to have the both of you on. So I'm, I'm looking right. forward to that. That's right. Nice. I, I was going to say that, um, yeah, definitely keep an eye on those socials because. Uh, the the uh, Belchverse is expanding even further. Um, Mitch uh, mm-hmm. has his own project he's working on. We're very excited about that. So definitely keep an eye on the socials and uh, uh, watch his Twitch stream in the meantime. Um, Cody, how about you? Where can the people find you? Check me out on Twitter. I am at Son of Gravy for twenty sixty nine. Um, also here on this podcast and hopefully very soon to be released. Uh, our crossover episode parentheses s of uh belchcast which i cannot wait to hear just to see how fucking hammered we all were by the end of it i'm excited and terrified yeah i i'm not sure if i'm gonna be like this is the best thing i've ever heard or like begging jack and pookie to take it down um did you mention your twitter i i did indeed okay uh at son of gravy for 2069 though if you didn't catch it the first time like alex who wasn't paying attention no you're correct i wasn't um so uh you can find me on twitter at turpin for prez um 
And make sure to follow the podcast account as well. That's at Here's a Guy Pod. Um, sometimes we give you a little sneak previews of what's going on. Um, still running our promotion over there. I'll say if you uh, um, show us proof that uh, Here's a Guy was in your top five podcasts at your uh, end of the year Spotify wrap, you will be gifted five hag bucks. Don't worry about what Ooh. that means. Um, but you'll get it. So um, we also have... Don't ask what to do with them. They're yours. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what you're going to do with them. It's not my problem. <laughs> so, uh, uh, only only slightly dumber than an NFT. So, um, we also have an email account. We also have an email account. Uh, uh, here's a mailbox at gmail.com. I did want to throw in, once again, a shout out to friend of the show, uh, Sheena, for um, what she sent us last week. I, I did mention it at the end of uh episode nine hashtag belchcast but it was at the end of like a two hour and uh 40 minute podcast um i don't know how many people stuck around all the way so i I wanted to mention it again we appreciate that um there was another friend of the show who told me over the weekend that he was gonna uh send me something to the email and and didn't so um uh fuck you (laughs) um but no uh (laughs) send us anything um um and uh yeah email us there with any uh comments suggestions criticisms heckling um whatever and uh, if we like it enough we may just read it on air in fact we get so few that we'll probably read just about anything on air so um little within reason i mean i understand you wanting to test our limits on that but we're not going to do anything that uh puts us like at legal risk this is not the thing that is going to get me in legal trouble someday it'll be something way cooler than that so I God, I hope so. All right. Well, uh, once again, thank you to Mitch for filling us in. Um, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Prayers up to Jack John that he returns home from Iraq safely and, um, stay tuned uh, next week for another exciting edition of here's a guy. Cody, do you have a tagline for us this week? I do indeed. All right. Well, uh, take it away. Listen to here's a guy, the podcast that definitely didn't eat Jack John. (laughs) Great stuff. Good night, daddies.